Let us pray. Speak to us now, living God, as you have spoken to our mothers and fathers before us, that with them we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For the past two weeks now, we have been talking, either directly or indirectly, about a subject that in my experience is rarely discussed in church, and yet which is, I am more and more convinced, one of the most important challenges that we face in seeking to lead faithful lives in this day and age. And that is the whole question of living with uncertainty. By which I don't just mean the things we know that we don't know, which are problem enough, but even more the things we don't know that we don't know. What Donald Rumsfeld several years ago famously called the unknown unknowns, which are an even bigger problem, particularly when we think we do know them, which is why this is such a problem for us, precisely because in this day and age we do know so incredibly much about so many things. We know so much that very often we forget just how much we still don't know. As a result, I'm afraid we tend to think we know more than we really do. We think we're smarter than we really are. And when you think you are really smart, then you think you're in control. Big mistake. Huge. Now this issue has come up for us in the course of our talking about two ways of thinking about the decisions that we make in our daily lives. Two ways of looking at our decisions that strike me as remarkably similar, despite the fact that one dates from just the past few years here in the 21st century, and the other from the mid-first century, that is to say more than 2,000 years ago. And their similarity lies in the fact that both of these approaches See, the critical factor in our decision-making to be whether we are more focused on the short-term or on the long-term. Both see the latter as the more solid foundation for good decisions. And warn that too much focus on the short-term is bound to cause problems. And why? Because in general... There is just too much uncertainty about events around us in the world in the short term 
for us to be very confident in our grasp of a situation, confident that we know enough to be making the right decisions. There's just too much uncertainty. Now, the short-term focus is what the behavioral economist Daniel Kahneman calls thinking fast. Though in actual fact, the decisions that we make like this tend not to involve much thinking at all and are instead more often based on what are little more than gut feelings and hunches. Much more that than something based on any hard knowledge. Using very different language to talk about this, though thinking along, I think, much the same lines, Paul speaks of decisions made according to the flesh by which he means decisions that are focused solely on daily life and its basic needs, concerns like food and shelter and clothing. But whether we describe this as thinking fast or living according to the flesh, we're talking about decisions that are more concerned with the here and now than they are with, for example, next year, to say nothing of the even longer term. And again, for both of these approaches, the problem with too exclusive a focus on the short term, on the moment, on today rather than tomorrow, is that inherent uncertainty of events in the short term. Uncertainty that can very often cause our decisions to misfire, resulting in errors and unintended consequences that lead to our actions missing the mark. This is what Richard Thaler calls misbehaving, and what Paul calls sin. Though, as I've mentioned several times the past couple of weeks, misbehaving is a better translation of the Greek word that Paul actually uses than the English word sin. The bottom line in all of this is simply that too much uncertainty makes for very bad decisions, particularly when you don't recognize just how much uncertainty there really is. That is to say, when you think you know more than you really do, when you think you're in control. But you may be wondering, while it may be foolish to make such mistakes, why would we call it sinful? I mean, what's sinful about it? And you're right. The decisions themselves may just be a mistake. What makes them sinful is the reasons why we make them. By thinking we know more than we really do, by thinking we're in control. And then to compound that original error by blaming the mistakes that we make on someone else rather than ourselves. And that's what turns a mistake into a sin. Now the problems of a life too much focused on the present at the expense of the future 
whether we use Kahneman's language or Paul's language to describe those problems are, I think, perfectly obvious. Going through life only concerned for today with no concern or provision for tomorrow, much less for years in the future, simply does not make for a very healthy or even very happy existence. And it certainly doesn't make for a very secure existence. That I think we all understand. And it's a point that has been passed down to us since childhood in folk tales that go all the way back to the time of Aesop and probably even farther than that. I mean, who among us hasn't heard the story of the tortoise and the hare, or the ant and the grasshopper, or no doubt countless other tales that are all variations upon this same basic theme? So to use Kahneman's language, we are far better off thinking slow if we can than we are thinking fast. Though granted, at times we may have to think fast, we may have to make some decisions on the spur of the moment. But if we don't have to, then for goodness sakes, don't. Or to use Paul's language, we would be well advised to live according to the spirit than to live according to the flesh. But what do these better alternative strategies actually mean? What, for example, does it really mean to think slow? Now, certainly it's a good idea to take one's time and not rush decisions any more than we have to. But I don't really think the actual speed of a decision is as much the issue here as the importance of keeping our eye on the big picture. Keeping focused on the big picture as opposed to getting lost in all the myriad of details. Slowing down and taking to, into account the big picture is, I think, what it means, what Kahneman means, by thinking slow. But if so, just how big must the big picture be in order for us to be confident in our grasp of any given situation. Obviously, we don't want to just shoot from the hip, but does thinking slow mean that we need to read a book of world history before we make any decision? I suspect we'd have a hard time agreeing even among ourselves here today as to just exactly what it is the big picture should include the big picture that we need to make informed decisions. And so while the problem with thinking fast can be pretty clear, I'm not sure it's at all clear how thinking slow is the solution or even what that means in actual practice. And so here I think Paul might actually be more helpful to us, despite the fact that we're talking about words written 2,000 years ago. Words of advice to live according to the Spirit. And as always with the Bible and other ancient writings, especially with Paul, 
we have to be a little careful with how we read words that were written 2,000 years ago. Just as the word flesh has all kinds of associations for us that it didn't have for Paul, so too does the word that English versions of the Bible translate as spirit. The Greek word that Paul actually uses here and throughout his letters is panoima, panuma, from which we get a number of English words, among them pneumatic or pneumonia though I suspect we'd be hard-pressed to see any connection between those words and what we think of as spirit. So what is spirit to you? When you hear the word spirit, what do you think? Well, I think that when most often we use the word spirit, we usually mean a kind of amorphous presence that is almost more imagined than it is real. For example, when we say that someone is present in spirit, what we're saying is that the person isn't really there. But neither are they completely absent, at least in thought. For us then, most of the time, a spiritual presence is not actually a real presence. And that's very different than Paul. For Paul, while a spiritual presence might be unseen, it is nonetheless very, very real. In fact, this same Greek word, in addition to spirit, is the same word that is used for wind or breath. And try telling someone who has lived through a hurricane or a tornado that the wind is not real just because you can't see it. No, for Paul, wind and breath and spirit are not just real. They are the force that underlies everything in this world, including you and me. For Paul, spirit is the most real thing there is. If not for spirit, there would be nothing. And for Paul, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is the Spirit of all spirits. For him, the Holy Spirit is in effect the life force for the whole world. The Holy Spirit is the world's breath. It is the force that powers life in this world. The current that carries events forward in the river of time. For him then to live according to the Spirit is to live in the constant awareness of this big picture. To live conscious of the fact that we're all a part of the big picture. And that even little old me is a small but very real piece of the whole picture. And just how big is this big picture? Well, I want you to think back to the words of the first hymn that we sang today. The only hymn you've sung so far today. 
You remember what it was? What hymn was it? I sing the mighty power of God that did what? That made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord who filled the earth with food, who formed the creatures through the word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displaced where'er I turn my eye, if I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. I'll tell you, Isaac Watts could really write hymns. And those words... Those words are a hymn of praise to God the Holy Spirit. A celebration of this immense world that is God's ongoing handiwork. This is the big picture. That we are to live our lives constantly aware of. This is what it means for Paul to live according to the Spirit. What does that look like? It means to open our eyes and our ears to all that God is doing in the world around us. To be attentive to the ways that God is calling us to join in this great work using the gifts that God has given each one of us. And what does all that look like? I think the best way to describe this is that it's like joining a choir. Like joining the biggest choir in the whole world and seeking to meld our voice, our efforts, our talents with those of everyone whom God has called into the choir and then singing our parts in this glorious work, trusting in the Holy Spirit to take our disparate efforts and to take our frequently wrong notes and mold them into one glorious whole. What Megan does with the choir on Sundays, what she's about to do in just a few minutes with a group here today, is what the Holy Spirit is doing with all of us. And if our attempt to take part in this great chorus falls flat. If you sound like me. <laughs> and if our efforts to contribute to the great work being done don't seem to be very successful, just haven't worked out as we had hoped and intended and dreamed, no matter how hard we tried, that's okay. Because that, too, is a part of this great chorus. For the very uncertainty that so often undermines our individual efforts in the short term is itself a part of the power of the Holy Spirit 
It is how this endlessly creative force takes your efforts and my efforts and all of our efforts and melds them together toward the ultimate conclusion of this great work. This great and glorious work which one day shall of, of a certainty reach its appointed end in the supreme harmony of all. That is the big picture that we live in a faithful awareness of. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to whom be all glory and honor, now and forevermore.